to the Southcliff Podcast. We're glad you've joined us. Now, here's Senior Pastor Dr. Carol Marr with this week's sermon. Well, it is good to see you. Glad you're able to be with us. Last time we were together, we began uh, a new series that will carry us through this month. And the series is entitled, um, A Savior Who is Christ the Lord. And we began that series by answering a question last time we were together. Uh, I think Jesus uh, is uh, clearly given to us as the Savior, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. We know that, but we recognize that there are some other questions that I think need to be answered if we're to truly understand the story of Christmas and its impact on our lives. And so we began by looking at one of those questions, and that was simply this. Why do we need a Savior? Uh, we, we know that Jesus came as the Savior, Christ the Lord. That we, we see the words of the angels as they declared that to the shepherds on the hillside. Good news to you and all the world, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. But the question really is this, why do we need a Savior? Well, the Apostle Paul answers that question for us in Ephesians chapter 2. And in fact... Um, in Ephesians chapter 2, he, he, he answers several questions that I think are kind of the back story to the Christmas story. When, when I was growing up, now some of you will remember this with, with great fondness, but when I was a kid growing up, there was a, a popular radio program uh, on uh, the radio, uh, and it, was, um, it featured a man by the name of Paul Harvey. Do you remember Paul Harvey? And do you remember the name of the, the radio program? the rest of the story. And so Paul Harvey, it would come on at noon where I was growing up and, and, um, and anytime we had an opportunity, we'd always listen to him because it was fascinating. He would tell a story, sometimes stories that we were familiar with and stories that we knew or about his history or a uh, historical figure that, that was well known. And, uh, and he would tell that story, that interesting story. And, and then he would say, uh, before they went to a commercial break, Paul's come back for the rest of the story. And after that commercial break, he would come back and he would tell you something that you didn't know. And it was fascinating. And in fact, I think several of those uh, experiences or, or seasons actually ended up in a book and, and, uh, and was popular. Well, I think that what Paul has given us in Ephesians chapter 2 kind of gives us the rest of the story. You know the Christmas story. You know Jesus came and the angel came to Mary and announced the birth and the virgin birth and all, all we, we know the story. We read it, we have, we have the figures set up and our nativity scene at home, we know the story. But what about the rest of the story? Why did God send Jesus as our savior? Well, last time we were together, we discovered because Paul said, because you're dead. Now, this wasn't a popular message last week, obviously, but it's the rest of the story. Paul said, Jesus came as a savior because you need a savior. And the reason you need a savior is because you're dead in your trespasses and sin. There's, there's not anything you can do to fix it. You can't undo what has happened in your life. And, and then he says this, and you are dominated by a worldview and by Satan and self. You're not even in control of your life. And then he said, and if that doesn't sound bad enough, 
you're doomed to an eternity separated from God under the wrath of God. And when you and I fully come to understand the condition we are in, then we understand how desperately we need a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Well, not only does he answer that question for us in the text that we looked at, why? Uh, he also answers another question. If, if the reason he came as a savior is because we need a savior, here, here's my question. If we are dead in our trespasses and sin, dominated by a worldview and Satan and selves and we are out of control and not in control and, and if we are doomed, here's my other question. Why would he even come to be our savior? Why would God do that for me? And Paul answers that question as well. So let's look together at Ephesians chapter two and uh, we're gonna answer the question today, why would Jesus come as our savior? We know why we need a savior is our condition, but why would he come? And we're gonna answer uh, a couple of other questions as we move forward in this time. What I'd like for us to do together today though is I want us to read this passage of scripture together. And, uh, and as we kind of walk through these nine verses, we're going to read it together and then uh, kind of unpack and answer that, that one question that will occupy our attention in our time together today. All right, so look at chapter 2, verse 1, New American Standard Version. You can look at the words on the screen as we go through. Read with me as we look at that. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Are you reading with me? All right, you better wake up. I'm, I'm liable to just stop and let you keep going to check and see if you are. Verse three, among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as the result of works so that no one may boast. Now in the first three verses he establishes why we need a savior. But I want you to go back to verse four and I want you to underline or circle that word. Let's, let's read verse four together again. 
But God, rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. I want you to circle or underline the word, but God. Paul says in the first three verses, listen, this is why you need a savior. You are dead. You are dominated by the world. You are doomed. There is no hope for you, but God. Now, those two words, those two words, just three letters apiece, offer such hope and encouragement to us. Now, some translations actually will, will put between those two words. They will literally take part of what we read together and, and they will insert because of his great love for us between but, but because of his great love for us, God. But I think you miss, if you put between those two words, that phrase, I think you miss the power of the message that he is communicating. In those two words, he is giving us a contrast. This is where you were, but God. Now, now it's not unusual. We see that in numerous places in the Bible. Uh, how about this? In the book of Genesis chapter 7, the Bible says, And the waters flooded the earth with for, for, for 150 days, but God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark, and he sent a wind over the earth, and the waters receded. In the book of uh, Genesis, it says this, Joseph speaking, hey, you, you intended to harm me. He was speaking to his brothers, remember? But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Uh, or, or how about this in 2 Samuel? Like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be recovered, so we must die. But God does not take away life. Instead, he devises a way so that the banished person may not remain estranged from him. Uh, I like what the psalmist says, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion. In chapter 16 of Luke, Jesus says, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of God, or in the eyes of men, but God knows your heart. What is highly valuable among men is detestable in God's sight. He also says in Acts, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we're witnesses of this. And here Paul once again grabs this little phrase to say, you were in a horrible circumstance and situation, and there was nothing that could be done for you. But God had a different plan. But God chose to become your savior and to offer salvation to you in a moment of your need. Now, this is what God's done, but the question that I have is, why would he do that? Why would God invest in us if we are so detestable and, and we're in the situation we're in because of our own doing, why, why would God save us? 
Well, he answers that question for us too in chapter two. So, some would say, well, well, the reason God saves us is because it's his nature. He is, a, he is a saving God. He is a redeeming God. It is within the nature of God. Well, what Paul does in the text before us is he, he kind of singles out or draws out, if you will, three attributes of God that help us understand why God came to save us. First of all, he says, because of his great love for us. Now, that's pretty amazing when you think about it. We deserve justice, we deserve wrath, we deserve God's anger, we literally deserve his disgust. But instead, he responds in love. God has chosen to love us. It's, it's kind of hard for us to understand what he's talking about here because uh, this is a different kind of love than, than we're familiar with. Love for us is an emotion. It, it carries with it all kinds of emotional baggage and feelings and, and certainly love is emotion and it does contain feeling, but, but when God speaks of the word love here, he's not confining it to just the emotion and the feeling. He, he is bringing it to a new level. In fact, in the New Testament, during the New Testament era when Rome was, was, was literally the, the government in charge, uh, people had no concept of God as a loving God. And when they thought of God as, as love and tried to understand that, what we find is that the Jews came along to say, well, wait a minute, the love that God has for us is so different and unique. They had to invent a brand new word to capture the essence of that. And the word that they use is the word agape. And it is a word that describes a love that is not like any love that you and I have ever seen. It is a love that is more than emotion, more than feeling. It is a, a love that is an act of the will. That God chooses to love us. And he demonstrates that love for us. It is an action word, if you will. Not an emotion, but involves literally an act of the will. He is moved with compassion. Paul is not talking about just any kind of love. He's really talking about a specific love. He has offered to us a great, because of his great love with which, now this is interesting, he said because of his great love with which he has loved, past tense, he has loved us. Now why does he use past tense? I mean it's true that God still loves us, he loves us in the present tense. But why is it that when Paul describes this great love, and he said, this is unlike any love you have ever experienced. This is the greatest of all love that we have an opportunity to experience. And he uses a past tense in this to say, this great love with which he has loved us. I, I think he's looking at one particular action of God that shows that love. Paul is saying that, that this great love God has for us, there, there's a way that you can understand it. There's a way it can be defined. There's a way that you can see it. It is a love expressed. And he is looking at one specific action on the part of God to demonstrate this love. In his letter to the Romans in chapter five, Paul says this, but God 
demonstrated his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Here is this great love. While we were doomed, while we were desperate, while we were dominated by self and others, when we were in a, a position that we were literally dead and unable to do anything for ourselves, God loved us. And the love that God has for us is more than a warm, fuzzy feeling. It is a love that is demonstrated on the cross. This is a love that enabled God to become man and die for our sins. And he loved us while we were yet sinners. We didn't have to get good enough for God. We don't have to fix things. God loves you just like you are. There is something in us that, that when we think of that kind of love, realize that we are undeserving. And, and because we're undeserving, we sometimes think we need to earn that love. And he says, you know what? No, God loved you while you were yet a sinner. Before you were ever born, he already paid the penalty for your sin debt. You, you can't undo that. There's nothing you can do to make yourself good enough for God. <clears throat> That's a great love <clears throat> that accepts you as you are where you are, like you are. John chapter 3, verse 16, that familiar text says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. This great love with which he loved us, we see it in the fact that he gave his son, his one and only son, one and only one of a kind son in order that we might have eternal life. I like what one old pastor said when he looked at that passage of scripture. He said, John 3:16 speaks of an incredible love in light of its origin. Where does it begin? God. For God so loved, he chose to love you when he didn't have to, but he chose to love you as you are, where you are. That's another thing that makes his love amazing. Look at the object of his love. For God so loved the world. What kind of world does God love? Man, this is not a lovable world. Have you noticed? People aren't lovable. And if there's ever been a time where we are unlovable, I think we're probably more unlovable today than we have ever been before. Selfishness and disregard for others and disregard for property and disregard for law seems to be rampant in our world today. And yet, it's those very people that God loves the very people that break the law, the very people that do the despicable things that we see, the, the, the most horrible person you and I could ever imagine is a person for whom Jesus died, a person that he loves. That's, that's an incredible love in light of its origin and in light of its object, but, but also the old pastor said, but it's an incredible love in light of its overflow. He loved us so much, he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Listen, God came as a savior because you desperately need a savior. But why would he save me? Well, because of his great love with which he loved us.
because he chose to love us as we are and loves us too much to leave us that way, he comes to be our Savior. Well, Paul doesn't stop there. He also says that he is our Savior because of his rich mercy. Now, again, Paul uses another superlative to, to, to magnify mercy. It's not enough just to say that God is a merciful God. It's not enough that Paul says, you know, God has chosen to save you because he is, he's a God of mercy. Paul said, no, when I look at you, I'm gonna have to say, God is rich in mercy. It's not just that he's merciful. No, when I look at you, I'm gonna tell you that God is rich in mercy. He is abundant in mercy. The only explanation is that he is rich in mercy. Sometimes we kind of use the term mercy and grace interchangeably, and they seem to be similar, but they are different. Mercy, as he's talking about here, is God's attitude toward those that are in distress. When God sees us dead in our sins, unable to fix it, when God sees us dominated by the world and powerless against Satan and against sin and against self, when God sees us doomed to be separated from him and without hope, he has mercy. It's kind of like if you've got children and you've taken them to the emergency room because of the normal things that happen to children in the course of their life. I had three sons, so we went to the emergency room quite often with broke bones and cuts and stitches. And it's quite an experience for parents, isn't it? To go to the emergency room with your child. And there's an angst that we feel in there that is just weird. And as we're sitting there watching our child hurt and in pain, there is something in us that identifies with that pain. And yet we are so helpless. And there's nothing we can do. And I don't know that we ever feel as helpless as in those moments when when our children are hurting and others are trying to help and there's nothing we can do but sit there and watch them hurt. And, and there is that mercy. Well, here's the difference. God sits and he watches us in our hurt. But the difference between you and God is that he can do something about it. He can act to correct it. And God looks at us in that condition and says, I'm not willing to leave you in that condition. I can do something about that. And because of the mercy that, that I have as I put myself in your situation and look at you, I'm gonna literally put myself in your situation and offer for you forgiveness and life eternal. When we think about that kind of mercy that motivates God to take our place, I'm reminded of the words of Max Licato in one of his books when he said, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent an educator. 
If our greatest need would have been technology, God would have sent a scientist. If our greatest need today and in life would be money, then God would have sent an economist. If our greatest need was pleasure, God would have sent an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness. And so God sent a savior. And in mercy, he looked and saw you and said, I'm gonna do something. I'm not gonna let you suffer through that and walk into the result of sin and separation. And so he chose to redeem our situation to save us. And his mercy and his love bring him to express that as he takes our place. Why would God ever save me? You're right, I'm a sinner. What you said last week about us and what Paul says, I, I, I agree. I'm dead in my trespasses and sin. I'm dominated by sin, I can't seem to overcome it. I don't have the strength to get past it. I am doomed. But why would God care? Why would God come to me? You see, there are some of you that are here today, you don't even love yourself. Why would God save me? Well, Paul says, because of a great love with which he loved us. Because of his rich mercy to identify with where we are and, and to see us in that state and say, I'm going to fix it. And then finally, he says, and because of his grace, we could add our own superlative, couldn't we? His amazing grace. He says in the text before us, because by grace you're saved. It's by grace that we have access to this Savior. You see, mercy is, is God's attitude toward our distress. Grace is God's attitude toward our guilt. We are guilty. We deserve death because of our transgressions and sin. We deserve to be dominated because we yield to the control of sin and self and Satan in the world. We deserve condemnation and doom because we are sinners and are separated from a holy God. We are guilty. God's law demands death and hell. But God's grace says, I'll pay the price. My law demands death, but my grace says, I'll take your place. I'll go to the cross and pay the penalty for your sin. You see, mercy is to withhold from us what we deserve. We deserve death, punishment, hell. Mercy says, no, I'm not going to give that to you. Grace says, I'm going to give you something you don't deserve. I'm going to give you instead life. His love is seen in the cross, his mercy, in God's acceptance of his death as payment for your sin. 
and his grace is seen as a risen Lord offers to you eternal life. His love, his mercy, his grace, not your works. God's love, his mercy, and his grace give us salvation. But it brings me to a final question. How do I receive that gift of eternal life? If God's done that for me, how, how, do, I, how, do, how do I get it? Is, it? is it in church attendance? Well, I, I just need to come to church and I mean, he loves me so much and his mercy is great and his grace, so I just really need to work hard. No, he says in the text, no, you're, you're, you're saved by grace, not, not by works. And he says, not even by works of righteousness, not even the right works will get you to heaven. Not even doing the right thing is gonna get you there because but you, you don't get there because of what you've done. You, you, you need a savior. You, you get there because of what he's done for you. Then, then, then how, do we, how do we get there? Is it a sinner's prayer? You, you hear a lot of times a pastor at the end of the time, pray this prayer with me. And I want to tell you something, sinner's prayer doesn't save you. You can say the sinner's prayer and not go to heaven. It, 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 the sinner's prayer is not even in the Bible. So well, why do you say the sinner's prayer? Because what we're trying to do as a pastor is to help you understand what you must do to be saved. The Bible says that, that we need the, the components of salvation. There, there must be a believing faith. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. What does that mean? To, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That, that's a believing faith. It means to trust him and what he's done. To believe on the Lord Jesus Christ means that I recognize Lord, he's master, savior, Christ, he's Messiah. I, I believe that God came to earth in the person of Jesus, that the Bible's true, that I'm a sinner separated from God and I am dead and I'm dominated and I'm doomed and, I, and I'm, I'm in a position where I can't fix anything. And I believe that God came to earth in the person of Jesus born of a virgin and he lived a sinless life. I don't understand all of that, but I believe that he's God. And I believe his word is true. And so believing faith acknowledges that he is the king of the universe and I must yield and bow my life before him. The Bible says, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The word confess means to agree. If you agree with God, God, I agree that Jesus, you are Lord, you came, you lived, you died, and I believe in my heart that you raised from the dead and, 
and I know my condition. I can't save myself, so I ask you to forgive me of my sin and come into my life. So the whole concept of the, of the sinner's prayer is, is my way of trying to say to you, this is how you demonstrate your belief. This is how you, you receive the gift that God gives you. you you confess with your mouth, God, I, 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 I'm a sinner, I get it. You're a savior, you love me. I don't understand why or how, but I believe. And I ask you to forgive me. Come into my life and I declare you to be Lord and savior. You're, I give everything to you. And when you do that, the Bible says if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Your greatest need is forgiveness, restoration. And that's why God sent a savior. And the reason he came is because he loves you with a great love. And he sees you in a condition where you cannot save yourself. And he exercises mercy to receive you just like you are. And by grace offers you eternal life. And you and I are in a position to simply receive it. And if you're here today and have never received the gift of eternal life, I, I, I'm, I'm praying that that I've, I've made it as simple as I can and that God's Holy Spirit will help you understand that you receive this gift, not because of what you do, not by baptism, not by being a Baptist or a Methodist or Catholic, it's not religion. It's a relationship God's offering you today through faith in Jesus. And for you to simply say, God, I agree with you. I'm doomed, there's no hope. But I believe, Jesus, you came and lived and made a way in your death and resurrection for me to be forgiven. And I receive it, I accept it, I want it. And I want you to be my savior and my Lord. Respond to that kind of love and your life will never be the same. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the message you've given us today and I pray somehow as we have just looked to try to understand the rest of the story, as we focus on you and your great love for us to understand that the reason you came, the reason you offer us salvation is not because we deserve it, we don't. It's because you love us. It's because of your rich mercy that you accept us right where we are. And, and, and it's because of your grace that you made a way for our sin debt to be paid. And in fact, you paid it for us. And all we have to do to receive that gift of eternal life is to turn to you in repentance from our sin and say, God, I give you my life. Here I am, take me. I pray that all over this room and all over the homes that are tuned in and listening right now, that decision will be made. And we'll enter into a relationship with you through faith in Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen.
from everyone at Southcliff Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you would like more information about Southcliff Church, please go to southcliff.com to share a testimony of how God has encouraged you through this ministry. Send an email to scpodcast at southcliff.com. That's scpodcast at southcliff.com. Click the Give button on our webpage to discover how this ministry is supported. Your financial gifts help accomplish the mission God has given us. Thank you.